Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 241. And today's episode is a bonus, for starters. I'm giving you Christmas presents early. And I'm joined by Matt Palmer, who's a writer and director. And it was one of the most natural conversations I've had. We just, we hit it off. It's it's so insightful. It's insightful for me. <laughs> like To hear someone speaking about the independent film industry and making films happen and making them work. And we have a chat about the relationship between director and DOP. And we, and we use um, Ben Ben Wheatley and Laurie Rose as an example of these great people who, when they get together, they make this, yeah, this absolute magic. So it's a great episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, I need to plug things. I've mentioned numerous times. I'll probably stop plugging it after this, but I did a... Um, a BBC Lifeline appeal for the British Stammering Association, um, and it means a lot to me. So it'd be cool if you could give that a watch. It's on iPlayer, easy to find. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a weird thing being a dude with a stutter in all of these different industries where I use my voice, um, podcasting in particular. Um, or the acting is the interesting one because it'd be really interesting to get a character who who has a stutter, it was weird doing a, a the Lifeline appeal, because in g- g- general, <laughs> there's a stutter, in general I spend my whole life holding down my stutter to varying successes. Um, but in this it was kind of like, well, if you stutter a little bit, it's good. <laughs> it gets the message across more. So it was really weird. I didn't want to fake stutter anything. We did a, a, a lot of different takes. So some had stutters in and some didn't. It's weird. Anyway. Christmas is coming, guys, and over at speechdevelopmentrecords.com, I've got loads of signed stuff, and a signed gift is a great Christmas gift. For example, my Distraction Pieces podcast book. If you're listening to this, and if you heard about it because your mate listens to it, or your partner listens to it, then that's a solid idea for a Christmas gift, right? Uh, A signed Distraction Pieces podcast um, book, you know? Come on, that's great. And I don't charge any extra for it being signed. They're signed in the web store. I've also got signed copies of my uh, graphic novel of poems. That should appeal. And I've got tons of winter stuff. I've got scarves. I've got hats. Um, I've got a new bit of merch coming that I almost said out loud, but I don't want to tell you about yet. I'll tell the secret Patreon gang first, patreon.com slash Pip, And then I'll tell the rest of you, and you'll all be very excited because it's so dope. I've ordered them. I've, I've I've gone back and forth for th- over two months on the de- on on design, and we've 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 finally sent them off to be made, um, and I can't wait to see them and then to shoot in them and then to to sell them to you guys, put them out into the world. Anyway, we've got umbr- umbrellas on the website. We've got everything. SpeechDevelopmentRecords dot com. Um, I'll shut up now because this is a bonus, so you've got an extra one anyway. You've got enough to listen to this week. You're going to enjoy this, and then if you haven't watched it already, I recommend you jumping on Netflix and watching Calibre. I mean, this is this is coming out on a Friday. What better wintry Friday night film? It's a bit creepy, a bit scary, but it's wonderful, and it's it's r- 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 rightfully winning a lot of awards and a lot of plaudits. So I was really pleased to get to chat to Matt Palmer, and it was hooked up by my man Aaron Shrimpton, who's who, who's worked on tons of my music. Videos over the years, um, 
So big love and shout out to him for hooking that up. Uh, New Waverley Studios. I think I've got that right. Um, so yeah, big love there. And enjoy the episode. I'll be back at the end to just do the bits that you do at the end of a podcast. You know, it'd be weird if the conversation just ended and then the podcast ended. I need to, it seems like it's the, the social norm for me to come on at the end, repeat half the stuff I've said in this intro and then be all like, oh, like and subscribe and stuff like that. So that's what's going to happen. Don't act as if it's not expected. You have contributed to the society where that is the norm. So that's what's going to happen. Anyway, this is episode 241 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, a bonus episode with Mr. Matt Palmer. Right, I'm joined today by Matt Palmer. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad we kind of got this this locked down because we're primarily going to be, or we're going to be talking a lot about your your debut film, Calibre, which is going crazy. But the really pleasing part for me is we started emailing to line this up before it started to get all these award nominations and and become one of the most hyped kind of independent type type films of the year so i feel a, a, a level of credibility that that, you, that i'm not just hyping uh, jumping on the hype train you were there at the start i was there excited because yeah um a, a, a mutual fr- friend of ours aaron uh, Sh- Sh- shrimpton um put us in touch and literally the day he mentioned it and kind of said oh i know the director and me and my girlfriend sl- sl- slung it on netflix I absolutely adored it. It's in my... I, I've got on my phone, on my notes next to my podcast notes, mm-hmm. which are here, um, I've got... I list... I make a note of every every film I see each year. Uh-huh. And I put a star for, for, by the ones that are in the running to be my films of the year. And Calibre currently has a star by it. So oh, you'll be... Uh... Play, I'm not promising. You, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's a good... It's a good... A, a, a year for films. But, um, yeah. So oh, how's it been, having that excitement? It's been amazing, you know, and it, it's, uh, you know, to some extent, it's it's more exciting because in the back end of last year, like we finished the film, uh, we finished the film in uh, June 2017. Yeah. Um, and then there was a period where we, you know, we weren't getting into film festivals. Yeah. So as I guess any director would do, if you give them enough rope, they'll basically yeah. hang themselves. So I thought, you know, I'm not sure the film works. I don't know why we're not getting into film festivals. So I kind of had already gone to a point where I'd kind of accepted that maybe it didn't. It's it, not very good. It's not very good. Yeah. And the thing is that, you know, then things started pulling back. And I think it turned out in the end that we didn't get into the film festivals because it's kind of, it's a genre movie, you know, it's a thriller, yeah. but it's also kind of a bit more serious. And I think the film festivals were a bit confused by that. And then, sort of the back end of last year, about November, things suddenly turned and people started saying they liked it and then yeah. came on Netflix and people started watching it. So, you know, it's really, it's really fucking exciting, but it's doubly exciting because I was at that low point where you I kind thought, of maybe, thought this yeah. isn't, this is, and again, it's, it's it's such a weird thing with any art that you're invested in, which particularly as your debut film, you're going to have been thinking about this for a long time oh. and been, you get so close to it that you can't tell if it's good. And my my limited acting experience, I've done 
two films, or I've done th- th- three and I got edited out of, of, of one, but, you know, these things happen. But mm. the two films I've done, it was exactly that. I watched them, I was like, I think this is really good, but also it's people I love in it and people I'm excited, I'm glad, you know, I've been on a journey with, so I'm excited because of that. I don't know if I can be analytical on that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I did, um, you know, worked on a lot of, I made three short films, but also worked on a lot of short films because yeah. I used to do sound, yeah. sound recording and sound post. And the thing is, a thing happened with every short film I ever worked on is at the end of it, at the rap party, you'd get drunk with all the new friends you'd made. And every single time I'd be like, this is the fucking one. Yeah. Like this is, I can feel it. This is, this is going to be amazing, you know? And then the thing is to varying degrees, they, they, they are great or sometimes they're not great. And yeah. and so by the time it came to making Calibre, I, and, and finishing it, I definitely got to that point where I was very aware of my own inability to actually know whether it was any good. Yeah. You know? But there's, of course, like with your first feature, there's so much riding on it because if you, if, if it doesn't work, then you really, it's, it's going to be that much more difficult to, to get a second one Completely. Up, up and running. So you're potentially at the, at the back of the queue again. In, in many ways, it's worse or in a worse position than you were originally. Because when you're an unknown quantity, it's like, I've got this idea. For sure. If, yeah. you're, if you're a known quantity, like, oh, look, that didn't really work. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one. It's mm. such an odd one. Mm. But I was very, yeah, I was, I was very worried about, you know, is it? And, and, and ultimately, you know, because so many people came to the project and put so much into it, yeah. you know, like, I mean, countless, like, collaborators, you know, the actors and the, the DOP and, like, so many people, like, just chucking, you know, it's cold, like, the, you could probably tell from the film, like, it was, we're in the middle of the woods in, I was like, going to ask about this. It's all shot in the Highlands, essentially. And Well, it's, it's no, that's quite a big, cheap because the thing is nothing nothing no location in the film apart from some of the sort of the the, the landscapes and yeah. the sort of gvs that's you know we went up to the highlands and we shot stuff up there but um in terms of the primary locations there's three of them and none of them are, the furthest one away is like an hour and 10 minutes from edinburgh the right. wood the woods are actually 45 minutes from glasgow 45 oh, wow. minutes from edinburgh yeah it's just that it turned out that there were thankfully for us locations within touching distance of Edinburgh that actually seemed more Highlands than the Highlands because yeah. we did scout the whole Highlands. Yeah. But, um, but that's the thing. I, initially, I thought, you know, we, we'll, we'll just... I think you always, like, want everything to be a bit gonzo and you're like, we'll just, we'll just get in the car. Because they did that with the, the original Wicker Man. Yeah. What they did, they must have had more money. They basically went down the coast of Scotland and just hand-picked. And, wow. you know, when you watch the Wicker Man, it feels like you're in a totally coherent place. But actually... Almost every they had like something like thirty-seven locations, and so they just travelled down the yeah. country picking all of Robin Hardy's favourite locations. It's it's got to be looking at uh, 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 or looking at it in a non-romantic way has to be key, right? Because mm. the fact is, proximity to everything else is important. If you need anything, if you're short of anything, if anything's gone wrong for actors, for everyone else, that all helps. But equally, you realise as soon as you start making these things how much room there is on the other side of the camera as as such it's the exact like instantly as you were saying that and i'm not trying to turn this on to being a um a this is your life of my brief film career but the first the first thing i ever did was this the guy ritchie film king arthur and i got edited out of it i wasn't in it but i always remember having a day on set where i'd been there as a film nerd just blown away because it's this huge Fox film, the sets 
are amazing. And then there was one moment where I was in a scene that I didn't have any lines, but because of where I was positioned, I could kind of just see what the camera sees. Mm. And it blew me away. Because all this time I've been like, oh, these sets are amazing. And then at that angle, I was like, no, I'm in, I'm in Camelot. I mean, you know, it's that beautiful thing of I've been here going, I'd not been l- losing myself in it in the way I, sh- I should have. And it's that a big, a big realisation that because you're walking around the sets, you can see everything that's on the other side of the camera. But mm. that small bit that's in front of the camera is its own world, mm. like when you realise on the screen. And it's a similar thing there. If you can find the right uh, locations that are right in that, in that square that you're filming them in. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like I, I sometimes wonder with, you know, like, some of the current Hollywood stuff where people are essentially in a in a warehouse wearing like those suits on green screen all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's like it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's very clever that the actors can do that, but like I I I would always up to this point at least ideally always go to you know, being out in the woods and you yeah. know, being in a real farm, you know, that which was mucky, you yeah. know, it, I sometimes feel like it's helpful to the actors because it's easier 100%. for them to you know it's, it's easier, easier to lose yourself in it right yeah um and and for and for makeup and everyone because if you've got genuinely ruddy cheeks and whatever because mm. it's cold it's like that that translates you can't you can fake that but you can't fake well, that i guess it's I mean. like you can see their breath you can yeah. see that it's freezing do you yeah. know what i mean and, and there's actually like the set in the woods where the main kind of action mm-hmm. happens like the main sort of acts the tragedy in the film and then it comes back later in the film for a kind of sort of a climb a climactic bit in the woods like it was literally like when we started in that clearing it was grass and by the time we'd done our three days of shooting it was a mud pit and if you look it's funny because i guess you know you're saying like it's hard to it's hard to be objective when you finish the film like in the edit i i was like god people are just going to better see that the actors are literally all look like they're about to fall over because they look like they're ice skating on mud yeah. you know what i mean but yeah, the thing yeah, is yeah. Now I don't even notice that. And that's yeah. the thing that's tricky is you get to a point in the edit where you start going mad and all you can see is the details and the joins. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the weird thing about making a film is you're never going to see it with the same eyes as like anybody else. It's an interesting thing that we'll discuss l- later on maybe is that what you've said right there is one of the reasons I love and fear for the life of the cinema because I think in the this, this cinema you do absorb into a film in a different way to on Netflix. And this is obviously, mm-hmm. I watched this on Netflix, I watched it at home, I had the lights off, I was absorbed in it. But still, you're always going to have that slight looking around the room or, mm. or again, if if you're scum looking at your phone, you should be, be focusing. I'm sorry, it's unacceptable. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is a weird thing that that films are changing and cinema is changing. And I think just weirdly from doing music videos which again is where i met aaron which is our our link here that made me pay more attention to films than ever before because i was aware that in this little three minute thing we've slaved over if we're gonna how much of a cross dissolve we're gonna have and these tiny little details Mm -hmm. that not that you should be watching a film and overanalyzing everything but you should be paying respect to the fact that someone has slaved over every like the things that have probably plagued your mind in the edit mm. and are irrelevant now it's that still that effort and passion has gone into that mm. it's true but the thing, it's, a, it's a really difficult one because at the same time you know if somebody's made a movie and you just you don't like it then it's very yeah. it's it's really 
you, you know, if somebody watches Caliban and they don't like it, I can't expect them to go, oh, you know, I'm going to sit and I'm going to try and find the best in it. It's yeah. just like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, we were talking about this earlier before we started to some extent. If you create stuff and you put it out there, you just have to have a, you know, it's going to be for some people and it's, not, it it's not going to be for others. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and the, uh, the slogan of, of my record label on the bag beside me here is we may not be for you and that's fine. Yeah. And again, that's the outlook to approach a lot of art, particularly as we're in a, a world now where because we've got so much access to reach everyone, it's easy to forget that most art isn't for everyone. Most comedy isn't for everyone. Most most film be, isn't for everyone. It can't be for everyone. Yeah. I think to some extent the, the problems, a big problem comes up when you get the sense that, like particularly with studios, because I think the for me the biggest it's weird with the netflix thing because for me the biggest problem at the moment is the studios because the studios have gone so conservative when you find out that like there's kind of a seismic moment when one of the studios decided that martin scorsese's new film with robert de niro and al pacino Mm -hmm. was too much of a risk yeah and it's like well if scorsese's after wolf of wall street yeah is too much of a risk, then yep. what exactly is going on here? And with Do you know what I mean? De Niro and Pacino and Pesci and Harvey Keitel and Stephen Graham and just an endless list of amazing people t- telling the story that he'd always wanted to tell with good fellas and all that but didn't have the rights to, mm-hmm. yet that's a bit of a risk. Let's... Yeah, so... Weird. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, I do think I think that's a, a massive problem. I said it's... it's, it's, it's it's a weird one for me because I'm undecided. As much as I love the cinema, I am also aware that because of the boom of TV, making films is fucking hard. Mm. Getting films signed off on or people up, up for making them is really tough. And Netflix and Amazon and things like that are, are keeping that alive a little bit. It's not having to be a, well, is it going to compete with Avengers? Yeah. If not... Uh, and let's not make it the importance of independent and small films and artistic films uh, in a way as much as i'd love to see them all in the cinema in a way some of them w- wouldn't exist if we didn't have people like netflix who are willing to no for sure and take it's a chance a, on these a, things it's a complete I, th- I think to some extent it almost feels like netflix is is going to self-right the the problems that the studios have run into because there's yeah. so many superhero movies so now it's just like we're only going to make superhero movies so yeah. we're going to squeeze out all these other other movies, but I, I just feel like there's there's always going to be a massive audience for like more adult, uh, not, not adult movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but grown up. Yeah, grown up movies, you know, and and I think that what will happen ultimately is Netflix will start, you know, they're going to take all the big directors across and they're going to make films that will be successful. And I think Netflix will probably then start moving into the cinemas. And essentially, what will happen is it will just de-evolve. Or, yeah. or re-evolve out of the superhero fixation. That yeah. I mean, I, I've got no problem with superhero movies, but there's just so so fucking many of them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's like that's that's just not a. And that I think has as much to do with the studios just being scared shitless and making anything. Yeah, that they've become increasingly paranoid about to the extent now that it's almost like anything that's not a superhero movie is a risk, which is just a, a situation that where and again, things are kind of it, un, untenable. It's you know the thing mean? that's sad because I guess it's because of how much money is involved in it. But studios and producers should be taking risks. Again, I've I've, I've moaned about it before, but it's I genuinely think that America's 
system of pilot season is partly to blame for a lot of this because rather than a producer going, I believe in this, let's make it, they're going, mm. let's make one episode and see if people like it. So, well, most good things you, you might not, you shouldn't be able to tell in the first episode. It shouldn't be giving you everything in one go and begging you to, to to keep watching and like it. It should be able to slowly build and develop naturally. No, for sure. And there's quite a lot of those those huge. I remember like The Wire and mm-hmm. Mad Men and like Ray Donovan and you know True Detective was fucking amazing from yeah. the first yeah, image. Yeah, yeah. But like with a lot of those ones, it's just like I remember you know. It taking five or six episodes. I was like, I don't the, know if I like this, and then suddenly, like, okay, I get it, I the, love it. But the, it's... yeah, the wire. I stopped halfway through the first episode to make sh- sure I put the right disc of the DVD in. Because mm-hmm. I was like, is this the first episode? Because it feels like I've come in mid yeah, yeah, halfway yeah. through a season. Because it's that kind of just slow and natural. And... But did he? He. I think David Simon described the first season of the wire as basic training. Yeah. And the yeah, thing is, I remember actually, it did. It did do. It was the wire was kind of like it did it did rewire my brain because it yeah. I was like if I don't concentrate on every single line that's being said here yeah I cannot follow this and to start with that feels like a massively like a chore and like oh god can I really be bothered with another one but once you get up to speed on it you start that's an amazing that level yeah. of focus that's why people meditate do you yeah. know what I mean yeah so that completely they, whereas I think a lot of like modern culture at the moment is pushing the other way and it's kind of like the the it's almost like what people think they want is they think they want to go to the cinema and not have to think yeah but the thing is that ultimately not thinking is not pleasant yeah you know what i mean i agree like it's I actually agree. I, I yeah so but that's why i like the wire and i just think there should be more it's a big yeah. saying and a belief that that that, that, that films and tv are an escape or from reality, and I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that. They, they enhance my reality. They improve my reality. It's, it's, it's not an escape for me. It's not a switch off. Mm-hmm. It's that I want to. I want my mind to do things it, it wouldn't have done in my day to day life. I want to take it to places and have emotions and have feelings and even just see things again. As much as I talk about the negative impact potentially of the superhero movies, I'm not against them. I love mm. superhero movies. I love going and experiencing that on a big screen and going, wow, yeah. that's mind-blowing. But that's not all I want. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that, yeah, well, that's where the problem comes up, is they go, all right, well, that one works, so let's only do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do get a weird thing with superhero movies too, where they, they'll say like, oh, but this is a new kind of superhero movie where it's almost not like a superhero yeah. movie. It's like, well, just make a movie that isn't a superhero movie yeah. instead of trying to make one that's so <laughs> unlike a superhero movie. That, you know what I mean? It's yeah, just completely. A, it's, a, it's a strange thing, but... Um, so, uh, so what was your route into into film? Like, where did you g- g- grow up? And was cinema always, you know, a, a love of yours and a desire to do that? Or was it, you know, something you stumbled into, an unrealistic dream? Yeah, I kind of... When I was... Um, at school, there was a there was. I guess I was more into music, really. But there was yeah. a, a friend I had who was like massively into the cinema, and a kind of he was like a proto geek before yeah. like cinema geeks. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. now they're you know everyone. they're everyone, <laughs> all of us. But um, yeah, he'd have like all the ticket stubs from the movies he'd seen over the past year, and he'd make like little sort of things that he'd hang in his room. So Amazing. he'd cut cut like posters out and have them hanging from the ceiling. Oh and, wow! And I just got kind of like totally into movies through him and then he started like he bought this book called the deep red horror handbook which right. which um was like a sort of book from the 80s and it just had all these 
films in that I'd never heard of that sounded completely insane. It's yeah. like, what are these movies? Um, so I got massively into um, like horror movies and like video nasties and that kind of through that, I then started getting into kind of cult movies. Yeah. And the thing is that back then it was, it was interesting. And it's one of the things that I think is a real shame is that TV's massively changed because back then, they would program all kinds of weird shit in, on, yeah. on TV. So you'd, you'd get the Radio Times and you'd go through the listings and you'd be like, look, well, look at this, at like 3 a.m. on Tuesday, there's some like black and white New York movie yeah. set on the subway that sounds really interesting. So you'd set your video recorder and, of course, that was its own thing because you'd set your video recorder and you're never quite sure whether the fucking thing would actually record it. So you get up in the morning, it, did it, did it. a chunk it. of it. Well, I had one thing happen where I, I copied Taxi Driver. Yeah. And this was at a time when I worked in like a this terrible clothes shop in Kidderminster where I was brought up and was like in the year between like school and uni. And um, I think it was like two in the morning and I was like, really, I need, you know, and I've just watched a movie, I need to go to bed. I was like, no, I'm going to watch Taxi Driver, never seen it. So I put Taxi Driver on, but, but I'd recorded it on a 90 minute tape. And of course, Taxi Driver is 95 minutes and oh, has wow. an amazing last five minutes. So it just stopped after 90 minutes at like four o'clock in the morning. Oh man. And, uh, but that's the whole exciting world of like video cassettes and video recorders. <laughs> there was, I'm a big fan of, of, of mixed martial arts and there was a big th- thing recently because Bellator, who are like the, the second biggest company have just done a deal to sh- sh- show their fights live on channel five. And it was the first time it was happening a couple of weekends ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's live sports. Things overrun. They go either way. Yeah. It got to the main event. I believe it just started, um, and then Peppa Pig started on Channel Five because it was six a.m. and that's that's when Pe- Pe- Peppa Pig starts. So all these fight fans have stayed up till six a.m. to watch these fights, and and suddenly they're watching an episode of Peppa Pig. Oh no! It's I mean, Peppa Pig it's is the same problem. Peppa Pig is fantastic, but not yeah, not mean, when you want to watch a fight. I mean, it might be the perfect thing to ease you off. For, for, before you go to sleep after a long night of testosterone, just yeah, ease yeah, into yeah. Peppa Pig. So, so you started to get into film then. Mm. It's it's interesting. I mean, discussing the problems with TV programming, it, it's a similar thing that I think your Netflix is a solving the problems of because in film and TV, again, in getting it made these days, it it feels like there's a. So, what is it? Is it a drama? Is it a comedy? Mm-hmm. Is it this or is it that? And so many things many things and, and caliber's an example of that because it's it's a thriller but it's it's more it it feels like a horror mm. um it just happens to not have any monsters mm-hmm. or or anything as, as supernatural in it and that's what's great about things like that is is i do think again we're a year or two away from people realizing that j- genre it's just pointless labels. Mm. We don't need it anymore. It's if, if it's good, it'll work. If it isn't, it won't. We don't need... Because we've got such instant access to everything now, rather than saying, so what is it? You can go, oh, it's here, just have a look. Well, I spoke to somebody like a couple of weeks ago who who works in the industry in Scotland, and they said... Because, you know, I made three shorts and all the short films were horrors. Mm. And they said, you, you know, you nailed your, like, colours to the mass fairly early on. Yeah. And I just thought, like, for me, like... You know, drama genre. What it's just, it's just good. There's just good, good drama and bad drama. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Ultimately, there's good stories and shit stories. Completely. And really, like whether it's a, a genre movie or whether it's a, it's a drama, really is. I, I mean, I've always like. I think making genre films in the UK has always been tough. Yeah. I mean, essentially, 
and like Ben Wheatley basically just reinvented the the wheel by 100%. by 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 kicking out all those films so quickly yeah and and them being successful but really like Britain just doesn't really do genre yeah cinema or oh, it's the um, tough thing particularly with things like like, like horrors or whatever it will have seemed like a big deal to get a fright fest or whatever, but in reality it became well. That's the only place now for horror. Oh, the festival is this month. Here's the only place for it. It's like, well, no, there's still films. They mm. still can have their place at any any point. There's not. Oh no, we do that in October or we do that in September. It's like no, mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be re- restricted into one area and one and one time scale. Yeah, I, th- I think. Um... I think that's a shame. I mean, the the horror the horror angle. It's interesting that you say like that. The you know it feels like it's, the thing that's been massively useful in, with Calibre is that it somehow you know it's definitely. I mean, to me, it's definitely a thriller. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not really a horror movie. Yeah, but the thing is, like you say, it sort of weirdly is. So what's happened is that I think all of the horror fans feel like they you know there's a lot at the moment. A lot of them are doing this thing where they. And they watch a movie every day for the yes, whole of October, yes, yes, like yes, thirty-one yes, yes. days of, of Halloween or whatever. Yeah. And and so, you know, already like I've seen about five, six, seven where people are like, "So I watch Calibre as part of this," and then it'll be, it's not really a horror movie at all. But it's like what's been great for us is it's it feels like the horror audience feel like they they need to check in on it and have a yeah, look, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. Do you know what I mean. So it's really a case of like having your cake and eating it yeah, because normally. Yeah. In order to do that, you have to make a horror movie. But yeah, we made a thriller and somehow managed to like just tap into that. But to, I guess to get um, the horror fans in there as as well. Yeah, which is which is totally cool. I mean, there's a flip side, which is you know, people. Some people get pissed off because they want it to be a horror movie and it's not really a horror movie. And, yeah, and you know, some of the sort of references in there. I read a review the other day that said essentially this is like the oldest folk horror setup in the book. Yeah, and I was like. That's interesting because that's actually kind of true. But the and you know some people again you know Stephen King tweeted about the movie, yeah. which was just fucking huge for us and amazing, right? But he referenced, yeah, it was. I mean, that was a that it was, was a couple a, of days after I'd emailed you. So I, again, yeah. it was exactly that. I was like, yes, I see. I'm not just reacting. It's clear I'm not just reacting. I'm already <laughs> already in. But like, amazing, though. He, he yeah, it was great. But he referenced the Wicker Man, so you had this whole slew of like online reviews that were like. This isn't the fucking Wicker Man, do you know what I mean? And it's like no, but it, it was never like I didn't never, say it was I the didn't Wicker claim Man. It was the Wicker Man. But yeah. the, the thing that surprised me a little bit is I just those those sort of um, I guess you'd maybe call them nods, but essentially they're just those tropes of genre cinema that I just find massively satisfying. Yeah. So like the American Wealth in London, like going into the pub or like the village where there's a kind of I mean essentially the reason that there's a kind of a festival in the village in the film. Yeah. It's a sort of um, it's a point of focus just to make the guys conspicuous because they've, you know, they know this big thing's happening. Yeah. So why the hell would they be sitting drinking in their own hotel room? Yeah. yeah and it yeah, just yeah. makes them more conspicuous. But I think I was slightly taken aback by the extent to which quite a few people were like, once you reference that, I wanted it to go full on Wicker Man. But it's like, surely after an hour of it being relatively realistic, yeah, yeah. you didn't then expect it to go all like kind of crazy cult because yeah. do you know what i mean i was, yeah, yeah, quite, I was yeah. quite surprised that people but again it's great to have all those it's it's great to have so much so much t- t- teasing of things there 
of of potential oh this may happen and again that's part of a thriller to kind mm. of are, is is this going to happen are they going to get away with it are they going to get caught and this and that are they guilty are they not guilty as such and all these different things but then you know the rarity and it nails it is that it finishes and you're satisfied it's not that kind of oh they've just teased us a load of stuff the kind of lost thing where as mm-hmm. soon as as lost mm-hmm. got to its third or fourth series people were like I don't think anything can ever deliver on this now. Yeah, they've yeah, built yeah. up so much. It's like, it's, it's kind of feels impossible unless they've got something huge up their sleeve. And then they kind of, turns out they didn't. Unless yeah, they've got yeah. something huge, then <laughs> it can never ever de- deliver. And I think that's what a, a Caliber does well. Is it, I don't know. It's, it's an incredibly relatable and realistic situation, even though it's, I don't think anyone watching it will have been through that. You know, it's, mm. it's totally out there and crazy, but the way it's made and the way it's told, it makes it all the scarier because of how human it is and because of how you don't have that escape of, oh, it's it's fantastical, or there's a mm. monster or whatever else. You've got your, your, your in it, and it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's great to hear, and I guess that's what we were... It's funny because, you know, some of the some of the reviews have been like, it's so realistic, and it's like... Well, it's realistic apart from the fact that there's tracking shots. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's production yeah, yeah. design within an yeah. inch of its, it's life. Not a there's music which, over yeah, the top. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's interesting. It's really helped with America. I think the Americans, it feels even more real t- to American audiences yeah. because they're used to a high level of gloss. Yeah. And actually, that's, it's meant that it's hit quite hard, like yeah. in the States, which has been super exciting. But the thing you said is interesting because, um, you know, one of the big coups with the film was getting Jack Loudon because we had attached Jack Loudon to the film and Jack was like a rising star and he was probably the only Scottish actor there's maybe two or three but like the only Scottish actor who's going to become a movie star yeah. who who fit the role but then we'd, we'd I'd had a chat with him and he was kind of interested but then he got cast in Dunkirk right and so our casting director was like well that's it isn't it and I was yeah. like is it and she was like yes that's it he's not going to do like caliber after he's just done a christopher nolan film and i was like i don't know i just think i've this feeling like jack because the thing with jack is jack had won like the olivier award so like the uk's biggest like theater award yeah at the age of like i think he won it at the age of like 19 or 21 or something and when i met him i could tell he's like he's quite he's quite serious kind of very serious about his acting he's a proper actor he's not just like a pretty boy who wants to be a movie star yeah yeah and i just so i just had this feeling that maybe you know because the script yeah needs him to go to some you know it needs some serious yeah serious it's a hell of a role acting, yeah yeah, you know? yeah exactly thought maybe we can just yeah like hold on to him which is what transpired which was amazing but you know when we got on set and it came actually you know the accident that happens in the film and the aftermath which yeah. is one of the most intense scenes um was the third day of shooting wow so it was super early you know, and Jack just sort of turned around and he went, you know, you could sort of see the fear in his eyes because actors are very, as you'll know yeah. from doing it, they're very, the, the biggest fear is just of looking fucking stupid on yeah. screen. Yeah, 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 and, yeah and, and so he basically said, you know, none of us have been through what happens to these guys. Like, this is a massively, like, this is just, nobody is bringing, like, normally, I guess, with acting, what you do is you bring your experience to the world. and Sure and the experience of similar situations yeah. into into to bear on the scene. And he was just like, none of us, like me and mine, haven't got a, haven't got a fucking clue. Do you know, we're just jumping off a cliff here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 
And it's like, it's, you know, I mean, I can't act for shit. So the whole thing's mysterious to me anyway, but like that, you know. How exciting was that early on to get that scene in the bag, knowing how big a, a push it is and how you're shooting it quite early to get that and go, all right, no, we're, we're, was, everyone's capable yeah. of this yeah this is gonna this is gonna work well it was my big fear before we did it it was like you know if you write a script that is based on such a centered around hinged around something that is so massively serious yeah um and then you can't cast it up to the standard you need to so you end up with actors who are struggling with the material this script and this film has a very the very real potential of being a travesty yeah it like becomes when people, incredibly uh, offensive yeah offensive and like cringeworthy yeah. and f- almost worst of all funny like look yeah. what they were trying to do funny yeah. but then disgust yeah. kind of disgusting that yeah. Yeah. yeah so i mean casting those guys was 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 just huge and that day there was one shot because the other thing is like we saw this uh this hungarian dop who he shot Peter Strickland's first film, Catelyn Varga, and that's right. how I'd, I'd seen that at the Edinburgh Film Festival, and like I was just like, this is exactly what I want, Calibre, because this was, the script took about six years to develop, and this was very mm. uh, look, just after the first draft. I was like, this is what I want it to look like, and like he's he's so great, but he's also extremely like one of the things he's super talented at is handheld stuff. He's just got this tendency where he he just becomes the inquisitive eye of the viewer when he's doing Amazing. handheld. Do yeah. you know what I mean? He just, the timing of the shit, like he just instinctually knows what he should be looking at when and when he should be moving from A to B. Yeah. And so, and the aftermath of that, um, the accident that happens, there was one scene where Martin, I don't want to try not to do any spoilers, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin has to physically move uh, something or somebody yeah, across yeah. A, a clearing, which... In its own right, I mean, Martin's like, you know, was pulling a, it's going to be a bit of a spoiler, but pulling a 16 stone man across a clearing. Yeah. And Mark filmed it and I was standing watching the monitor and, and it was kind of a, a longer take. It was maybe about 50 seconds and just very, very physical. Mm. And the thing is, when I was looking at it, I just had this very strange moment where I felt like I was looking at something on YouTube because it looked so fucking real. Amazing. And that was when I was like, there's some real potential here if we can hit that kind of yeah visceral because it was properly like yeah you know and the funny thing was i immediately looked over the first person i caught whose eye i caught after that was the focus puller yeah um and he was just shaking his head at me i was like oh he didn't like it and he was like totally fucking out of focus i was like fuck off you know (laughs) that doesn't matter like i mean it's a beautiful (laughs) thing to find someone who can bring that to a film right in in the dop because again it's that it's it's, a crucial it's a huge role yeah it's awareness of how important that that is in film and it can be overlooked hugely um uh, i was reading a book of 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 notes from bresson or a while ago and he was kind of saying how an early mistake of cinema is not realising that it's not the theatre. You're not meant to just sit back and film a play. Mm. You know, the beauty of of true cinema is doing what you can't do in a play and doing what you can't do in other mediums. Mm-hmm. And that ability to put the viewer in the scene mm. and, you know, have stuff that there's sounds going on off, off, off camera and the camera is turning to it and things like that... If you have someone who you, you as a director have that faith in to catch the, the, those moments, so it isn't because again in reality, it's not scripted 
and plotted out. Mm. Oh, we don't see everything in the tra- traumatic or exciting or dangerous moments in our lives. We're we're doing it on the fly. Mm. We're catching up. And if you can have a DOP who you've got the, the faith in to go, look, just go in there and be part of it and and allow the viewer to be part of it without inserting a POV or whatever, you know, having that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a, the thing is it's a massively important role because the thing is the DOP has the potential to either kind of... I mean, the great thing with Mark is like well, immediately, like, so I got him over to make to make a short film with me. Yeah. And it was just one of those times when it felt like sort of I'd met a new really close friend. There's that kind of eerie... Like, it feels like we've known each other for centuries. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah, immediate yeah, yeah. connection. Yeah. And, like, we just agreed on... We don't agree on everything because because of the, the discussions and the kind of toing and froing on stuff is where you get to the correct ones. But just a general set of... You know, everything from, like, loving, you know, 35mm film grain to, yeah. like, you know, giving the actors, like, prioritising the actors' performances. Like, just a list of, like, 50 things that we fundamentally... Yeah. Agreed on. And the thing is that a DOP DOP role is a role that a lot of a lot of men do it. Yeah. And it's a role that can be massively problematic on set because if you end up with a very male man man male DOP mm-hmm. who's there to show you and show everybody else how great he is at being a DOP. 100%. Um, not only does it cause a problem because they're not actually, like, linked to the material properly, they're yep. just actually just... Trying to show off. Trying to show off and, fl- and make a new show reel. Yeah, yeah, look how good I am. But also it creates this very obnoxious sort of... Uh, the, the DOP, the director and the DOP and the producers tend to set the temper of the set. So if you yeah. if you end up with a DOP who's just kind of quite an obnoxious presence, yeah. it just makes the set it makes it impossible to nurture that kind of openness. Yeah. You know, completely. And, and, and confidence in everyone's because the other thing is they'll often like you know, there's lots of great DOPs, I don't want to make it sound but if you no, get a bad apple, yeah. they will, you know, they'll be mean to the art department you yeah. know they'll be yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll be snidey about the actors yeah. and do you know what i mean and what you need is for everyone to be to be to pulling be, together to and, be working and, together and no one to be trying to make it their thing everyone to make it our thing right and i think that includes and it's a tough one because obviously the the entire nature of directing is to some extent is obviously going to attract obsessives yeah yeah but i think that includes the director i think sometimes the director has to get out of the fucking way I had, um, of the movie there's ray akavan on recently who who has got a series called the bisexual who did the um education of cameron post which is out at the moment which is amazing mm-hmm. and talking to her she, as she as she was saying that she, that she felt almost it took her a while to get comfy with the guilt that she felt of putting trust in her team mm. you know of feeling oh i'm I'm the director, but a lot of it, I'm just letting them do their thing because they're amazing at what they do. And it's like realising that that's part of the role. That's part of your job to not be, I need to make sure everyone knows that this is me doing this. It's like, no, if you cast your team well, then a lot of it is that. A lot of it, you can step back and go, just, yeah, just it's make ver- it happen. It's very much like, I think it's very much like football management. It's yeah. like, do you know what I mean? You, you Essentially, you're putting a team together. If you put the team together well enough, they'll win 5-0. Yeah. But there was definitely a moment, like, on a couple of moments on set where I looked at what was what was unfolding in front of me, and I 
I stood there and thought, people are going to say, I did this. <laughs> and that's when, you know, that's when I knew things were going well, because I just thought, you know, this, these, this is just like, it's, it's, you, you stand back and it's kind of, it's kind of weird because it's very hard to stand there and feel like you're not needed. Yeah. But if you can do that, then, you know, because the inclination sometimes is to like wade in and just do something to remind to people that, that you're, I'm, yeah. still, I'm he's still here. This is all me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like again, it's it's about finding those those relationships that you that you can all agree that n- no one needs to uh, to do that. And that that must have been exciting to find a DOP that you c- connect with in in that way. We've mentioned Ben Wheatley and his work with Laurie Rose as mm-hmm. DOP is just it's amazing because it feels like they've got that synergy. They've got that they're just a team and. I'm as excited about Laurie Rose being a DOP on something as I am about Ben Wheatley being the director on something and knowing those those kind of things are a key that, you know, yeah. they work together in the right way. I think you can feel it. I mean, there's that, you know, Jan Demarge. Is it Jan Demarge or Jan Demarge? I think it's not Jan Demarge. Yeah. You know, the 71 guy. I'm, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mispronounce his yes. name. But he's, like, got a DOP called Tat someone this is a very bad story because i got mad but basically again those you can just feel yeah you know you feel like there's a director and because the thing is like the other thing is as a director you can you know you get a lot of credit for people watch caliber and think like oh look at all the crazy visual you know like yeah. what a great place to put the camera but it's like that's not how it works on set because if you hire somebody whose entire like skill set is being a, a kind of visual genius yeah. Then, you know, if Mark comes up to me and goes, "What I was thinking was maybe this," and he understands the script and he's like, he's actually, you know, properly connected with the material, the chances are, as a an incredibly astute visual person, he's going to have a fucking great idea. So, yeah, do you know start. what I mean? It's yeah. like, and then the, the hardest thing sometimes is that you you then start to think, well, I, I sort of don't need to do that, and then suddenly you'll go, hang on a minute, we need another angle here. And your, jo- your job is to kind of get out of the way until, but at the same time, get out of the way but not shut down. Yeah. Because there is a tendency when, when everyone around you is doing great stuff is just to kind of shut down, whereas you have to sort of just keep monitoring and then go, hang on a minute, there's one thing over there. Yeah. And, and, being, like- and being aware that in six months you're still going to be there working on this and the DOP will probably be off working on their next thing. So it's knowing that you need to make sure you've got everything that you need and everything that they might not be able to see because of not being in the editing mind and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of, I guess it's kind of like, it's weird. It's kind of like hovering above it all and watching it all and just making minor adjustments. I I think it's why, I think it's all of that that makes people believe that there's, you know, a a nepotism in the film industry Mm. or it's a who you know rather than what you know. And I think it's not that. I think it's that if there are people that you work with well and get on with and you know that Mm. they're people that you're going to be comfortable spending six months of your life with, then you will try and keep working with them. That isn't a kind of excluding anyone else or being a boys gang or a girls gang or whatever else is going, no, here's someone I respect artistically and can work with. I think um, when I was younger, I could not understand why people would work with the same teams. Yeah. I was just like, why would you not want to work with a new person? And mix it up, yeah. And mix it up. But the thing is, it doesn't feel like that at all when you get older and when you've worked with people you trust. It just feels like you want to bring that same 
hive mind to the next yeah. project. And, and the way, new idea is the new is the new thing. It's not you need no people to it. It was oh I've got this new it's a new project. Exactly. And it's like what would you know, what would Mark's mind or what would yeah. Mirren's mind or what would Ben the sound because the sound design was huge and like Ben Bed sound design was yeah. amazing. It's like what would Ben do with this? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you you just um when it, yeah, I totally now understand why it didn't make how, any sense to me. How was that coming from sound yourself? Tough for to, ben, to, to, to then go in really annoying. All oh, right, here's ben. someone else who's <laughs> going to be doing it a different way, who's going to have their own ideas and approach, and you're still, well, maybe if we use the, it's like, off, mate. I don't, I don't yeah, know. no, I mean, it's the area. It's the area where I found it hardest to um, to disconnect and not be a yeah. fucking know-it-all. And the thing is, like, because Ben is such a you know, such a lovely guy, you know, whereas I think maybe some other, because the level Ben's at, the level of genius he has for his job and the level of tolerance of me questioning his decisions only happen because he's, he's a very nice guy and he's, he's, he's very much in control of his ego. I can imagine a lot of sound editors might have just been, you know what, why don't you just fuck off and do it on your own? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because I would... It was really hard with me, but the sound, like, you know. Yeah. And I, I guess, guess it's finding the balance, right? Well, I don't, I honestly don't think I found it. I think that was a bit gnarly. <laughs> I was a bit nippy with that one. Right. But, but the thing is that slowly, bit by bit by bit, I just realised, like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, he's so clever. Because it's funny, like, you know, initially there's the scene out when they go back into the woods at night. Mm-hmm. And coming from, like, a sound recording kind of background... I've been out in the woods and I've done sound recording out there and I love those thick wood sounds and like yeah. it's so eerie. And so when I was writing, I was like, oh, this will be so atmospheric, this scene. Yeah. Um, and and then I had a meeting with Ben and Ben was like, so for the scene, um, when they go back to the woods at night, I imagine it still almost no sound from the woods at all. And I was like, Oh, immediately it just felt like, why would you waste that opportunity of having that lovely, thick, woods-at-night atmosphere? And I was like, okay, why why would you do it like that? And he said, basically, what these guys aren't scared of the woods. These guys are scared of being found out. So the way to, through the sound, to heat more pressure on them is to have the woods very still and every movement of them, their their, their body movements, mm. the spade, every time they hit the ground, it yeah, echoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, this is very clever. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's amazing. You know. yeah. <laughs> so bit by bit, I realised Ben was a genius and finally shut up. <laughs> <laughs> how much, on in the writing process, how much um, does the idea of cost and funding come into the story? Because, again, it... it it seems interesting that a lot of great debut films I've seen recently are isolated in one location. Mm. Kind of isolation means, you know, a skeleton cast as such. Mm-hmm. Um, I had um, Coralie Fargay on recently who did a Revenge this year, which okay. I absolutely adored. It mm-hmm. blew me away. And again, the, is that something that influences you as a writer? And are you writing thinking, what story can I write? that I will realistically be able to get made as my debut rather mm. than what story can I write? But then, well, this is a hundred million dollar film uh, as if anyone's going to entrust me on that. It's a bit of both, isn't it? I mean, the thing is like, I definitely, you know, cause I'd made three shorts. I knew, I knew that the, um, 
with 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 all three shorts that I made, like the first one was about a guy, a sound recordist who goes down into a cave. Yeah. Um. So that was one basically one person. The second one was about a a, a janitor on an isolated island. Yeah. And the next, the third one was a woman in a house. So, so the third the third one actually for the first time ever had two people actually talking. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> so I suppose I came from that like. I knew from the start that I, had, I couldn't let the scope of Calibre kind of get out of hand because already, even though it felt like I'd written something really contained, when it came to budgeting it, the budget was $1.5 million, right. which is, for a first feature, is it, the producers did really well to get it yeah. because normally it's under it's a million or under. Yeah. And there's simply we simply couldn't have made the film yeah. for that. So even though it felt contained, then you, you know, you go into pre-production and it's like, well, we've got vehicles, we've got kids, we've got um, ballistics, we've got special effects. All stuff that adds up. We've got the woods, right? we've got the woods at night. I mean, I had a really interesting conversation with the line. I mean, again, all these roles in film that people, you know, it's all, all the credit just goes to so much of the credit goes to the director. Yeah. It's like the hero on caliber to a large extent was the line producer. Who's the person who basically has to, Take the money you've got and somehow translate that Make it work. into making a movie that actually. And it's it's a massive difference from from making potentially sh- sh- shorts with friends and collaborators because there's mm. so much that you just kind of make work. Whereas when you're doing a feature that's budgeted, it's like no, we don't make anything. Everyone has to. It has to be done the right way. It does, and it actually took. Finally, I think now a couple of bad habits were finally beaten out of me and yeah. one of them was like why don't we just like grab me mark the actors and just go off and shoot it and yeah. it's like once you have like a crew of like four, 40 people you can't do that because it's just like and people would say that's not the way to do it like yeah. it's a team and if you just keep running off and trying to grab things and it's yeah. like you kind of have to take like what you get from a team of 40 people is you get the ability mm-hmm. to create images that look like they have more production and more care and yeah. more detail. Yeah. You can't have your cake and eat it and then just like piss off and just shoot for half a day and just yeah. leave everyone in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it's kind of How was that to transition into that to 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 take in the awareness of the the, the grander team, I guess, or the or, or the larger project rather than I'm a filmmaker, oh, let's go and make a film. Yeah, I think it's 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 the biggest thing with like making a film with a crew is you just have to make your peace with the fact that things take time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't just run around and have th- things just are slow and yeah. you can either stand around going, why isn't it? Why isn't it? Like I remember on my second short film, we're out on this isolated Island and they were trying to light this section of the Island. It was like three in the morning, pissing down with rain and I was just standing there going, we're running out of time, we're running out of time. And I, I just shouted into the dark, like, we need to shoot now. And then I heard a, a voice of the gaffer, who's like the lighting guy, just mm. come back out of the darkness. And he went, we can shoot whenever you want. It'll just be black. It's your fucking movie, mate. And I was just like, I just shouted back, okay, sorry. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're right. It's kind of a beautiful th- thing, though, right? Because it means... If when you've got a greater amount of people having their input, it mm. means that you're going to get a better end product. No, you're going to yeah. take that more time and get, and get it better in the moment. And again, this is only from 
a music video experience where I've directed so a few of my own and worked uh, for a long time with uh, Tom Coles, my DOP in that. Mm. And again, there has been so much of it. Uh, if you've been going for a while, there is, oh, we need to get this. Whereas if if you've not got an option, then it's like, oh, well, it'll work. Like, we'll make it work. You, mm. you take them breaks off and realise that it's not the end of the world if you don't get it in the next five minutes. You get it in this time. And yeah, it, it, yeah, it forces you to to get a better a better result, I guess. I think you have to sort of accept that things, let things happen a bit more slowly. Yeah. And, but when you, you, you get it, you get it well. Cause if you've got four hours for a scene, you can just run at it like a, a bull in the China shop. I mean, the first AD who's like the logistical guy. Yeah. Um, like was having babies on caliber because it's like, you know, we'd have four hours to shoot a certain scene and we might not shoot anything for like two hours and 15 minutes. And you could see him just sweating like what the fuck is going on they're not shooting anything but yeah. after that two hours and 15 minutes we'd have, we'd have really blocked it out carefully the actors would know exactly what they were doing they already yeah. would have rehearsed their performances we worked out all that stuff so we know they're going to hit it right Mark's running around like planning where he's going to put the camera and we've yeah. talked all that through and then suddenly like you've shot nothing after two hours and 15 minutes but half an hour late you've got loads of great shit you've got, yeah you've and got it's almost all of it it's kind of just trying to stay calm and not going we have must shoot Do you know yeah. we have to shoot as quickly as possible so uh, with that pressure as said it must be uh, I think another thing that gets overlooked I mean it's good that we're kind of listing all the stuff that gets overlooked in mm, in, mm. in film other than Again, the director, I've had a annoyance for ages that few people have a favourite writer. Mm. Yeah, everyone has a favourite the director yeah. and the writing. Nobody, no, nobody has a favourite production designer. No, nobody no. even knows what a production designer does. No, do you know what no. I mean? and again, that's uh, as I saw um, Duncan Jones t- t- tweeting about this, and I did a post about it uh, today because Shaheen Bay, who's a casting mm-hmm. director, had done a post about this opportunity for people to become a production designer and art designer, all that. And and Duncan Jones had tweeted a few days ago saying, people see the cinema and think, I want to be an actor or I want to be a director, and they don't see all the other stuff that goes on. And his argument was, with 10, 20 years in the industry, I think the art design and production designer may be having the best time because mm. they get to create a worlds. And that's amazing. They get to create these worlds from nothing and go, I mean, it's, it's, here it is. It's a colossal thing. I mean, again, like it's kind of testament to Mark that he, he'll just throw out these sneaky little lines that are just like full of wisdom. And yes. he said to me one time, he said, I, I, I always wanted to do Mark. I was trying to do a really bad Hungarian accent, which I won't <laughs> do. He, he said in his Hungarian accent, he said, um, sometimes I feel that when they give out awards for cinematography, they should really give the award to the production designer. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? Essentially, yeah. a DOP can only shoot what the production designer's yeah, put in front of him. There. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So that's amazing. It's a it's a colossal, and it is. Yeah, it's a super exciting job. I mean, that's the kind of that's one of the things that I you know, one of the great things about the Caliber journey was just going through each stage and realizing each stage is like super exciting. So casting was just like amazing. You know, well, that, let's talk about that because because mm. the casting has been. Are the Scottish BAFTAs, you're up for best, you're up for best director and best writer, or is yeah. it best film? So that's great. But the exciting one is, as we're recording this, it's it's the beginning of October. The awards are in the beginning of November, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've won best actor because you've got all three nominations, which is insane. <laughs> so all three best male actor, um, 
all three nominations uh, are from Calibre, which is well, I was watching it live, blowing, right? It was, yeah, it was completely insane. I've never even heard of that happening before. Well, that ne- they all come from the same film. Yeah, it's funny actually because I was, I was like, you're, you're always when that kind of thing happens, you're always looking for like, yeah, can we say this is the first time ever? And that actually looked, and it happened last year with Train Spotting Two. Oh wow! But the thing is, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. fucking Train Spotting Two, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of. But um, it was surreal when it got read out because I was listening to it live and it was just like Jack Loudon, Calibre, yeah. Martin McCann, Calibre. I thought we've got two. Tony Curran, Calibre. I was like, we're going to win every award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know. Um, that's amazing. It's though, right. It's... Yeah, it's, it's great. And I mean, but that's sort of down to, you know, each stage of film, making a film is like a massive collaboration between the director and someone and yes. um you know we had an um, an amazing casting director cuz again I don't I don't know if people think you know it's just like oh the, the director picked loads of great people didn't he it's yeah. like no the director was talking to Theo Park who kept sending him lists of it was amazing and his, you know really came yeah. under Nina Gold and people like that so it's yeah, 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 it's done yeah. amazing it's stuff just... and worked with Simon Pegg and all that for years isn't it exactly she? yeah and and um cuz I was like Honestly, I was like at the beginning. I was like, are there really enough great Scottish actors there to cast this all Scottish, or do we have to cheat and get some English actors to? Yeah. And then she starts sending me these lists of like, you know, Cal McAninch who plays Al McClay, who right. is actually a pivot. he's the guy who's basically always staring at yeah. them and always yeah, yeah, seems yeah, to have yeah. a read on them. Yeah, like amazing fucking actor that I'd never heard of. Do you know what I mean? And it's, so it's done. It's a, f- a fascinating a world because again, yeah, it's. It's absolutely key. Mm. That's that's that that's absolutely key because as a writer, again, you'll probably have certain scripts you're working on that you're writing a character thinking, well, ideally, yeah, yeah here's who yeah. I'd go for, and that becomes unrealistic or until. But then they present someone who is more right for that role than who you had in your head. If you know what I mean, it's like, how have you found this character out there? For sure, I think the, the big world? the big takeaway for casting for me was like, don't cast on. Uh, preconceptions you have of the character's physical great physical physical right. phys- physicality so initially the marcus character i was like it's it seemed really important to me that marcus was taller than vaughn because he kind of dominates yeah. him and also that he was probably i thought he's probably english upper class very chiseled go yeah. for like a real pretty boy yeah um and i Martin, obviously jack's taller than martin martin's not english he's he's irish yeah do you know what i mean so like when it came when that came to the table, I was like, "But Jack Jack Laden's going to be like physically dominating this guy, yeah. and he's he's Irish, and how's that fit?" And but then Martin's casting tape came in, and it was just literally my entire conception of the Marcus character just sort of dissolved and reformed around Martin because the thing is, he was like his casting tape was just insane. It was like. He's actually uh, the character's alive. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It was yeah. like that is Marcus, and it was it literally happened within ten minutes. I love like, that, and that's a sign of a really good casting director as well, because they're they're not going for what was on paper, yeah. what you were looking for. It's one of the things I felt really lucky, and a few of the casting directors I've, I've really hit it off with, because more often than not, I mean, I'm six foot four and I've got a big beard and quite yeah, a strong. Yeah, yeah. So more often than not, I'm not what was on paper. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. They have that faith or that belief or that excitement in let's let's see what you can do. Let's send this over as an option. Yeah, because it's exciting to go right. Actually, m- maybe we can go somewhere else. It's I was moaning about it online the other day that again, being a big comic book nerd and film fan, it infuriates me that whenever there's a new project announced, 
people get angry over the casting of it before mm. it's even happened. It's uh-huh. like they want cosplayers. Mm. They don't want actors. I want actors. I want to see their performance and their interpretation of that character. And then I'll get angry if it's shit. I'll yeah, get excited yeah, yeah. if it's good. But not when I say, here's who's playing them. It's like, oh, well, he doesn't look exactly like that drawing yeah. from from 30 <laughs> years ago. It's like, well, why would he look like that drawing? That's not, that's not the be-all and end-all. And it's exciting to know that, or to have that outlook of, look, here's what I had in mind, yeah. but let's see what comes about. Let's see if something, if nothing blows that out of the water, then perfect. Yeah, That's yeah, what I had in yeah. mind. I will find that. But if not... But it's kind of... All the, act, the acting thing is really about is somebody, like, being inside inside the character. You know, I mean, we saw about 20 people for Marcus, but it was like... Like, what Martin was doing was just a completely... It was just something completely different. You know yeah. what I mean? He was actually... It was like, he's alive. You know what I mean? He's not yeah, alive yeah, as yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. character is suddenly alive. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It was yeah. eerie. Yeah. And it was eerie because he was so different, but suddenly it was like... it was There was no fucking question. It was like, that is it. Do you think there's um, an importance... And it's tough because the bigger you get as a director or writer, the bigger the names of cast you're likely to get. But do you think there's an art and importance in presenting characters played by actors that you don't necessarily already know beforehand? It occurred to me that things like Game of Thrones, as an example, one of the reasons that was so amazing is because we didn't know any of those people. Mm. For half of the people in it, it was genuinely their first ever gig. I had um, John Bradley on, and he was kind of saying he's terrified of it ending because... His first ever role was in Game of Thrones. Now he has to go out and get other roles. And he's the dude from Game of Thrones. So that's a big... And and, and guys, I've had a lot of guys from Shane Meadows films on, and they've all struggled with that at points, is they have their their breakthrough role in a a Shane Meadows film, and then they're going in at a certain level that they might not be comfortable with because the way of the way Shane directs is so different from a lot of directors and stuff like that so well that's that's exactly what I was going to say I think like being on the Shane Meadow from what I can gather being on the Shane Meadow set is is quite significantly different to being on other yeah Andrew Shim when I had him on he was saying how hard it was to go on from from a room for Romeo Brass which blew me away and this is England because they they workshop stuff and they do this and then they go out there they don't kind of have a and then he got his a role after that, and he was like, here's, here's your lines, learn them. And he was like, what? I don't, I'm not used to that, which yeah, is mind-blowing yeah, yeah. for someone who, again, I've seen his performances and been like, he's amazing. So those weird, yeah. You know, I don't know if this is the right time to say it, but, you know, one of the things that really, like, sh- sh- shocked me a bit on Calibre was almost the opposite of that, which is, you know, I worked with Jack and Martin for about 10 days straight. Yeah. And we were just, it was very, just the, us, like, doing these scenes, yeah. With, with them together and then on about day 10 suddenly there were 14 actors and the thing is when actors get together they start uh having fun yeah you know and they start basically asking about yeah. so basically they were asking about and it was it was yeah everything was fine but then this one day i was like we were setting up for like a shot and they were just all talking and you could hear all these conversations going on everywhere and i was just i was like right after this take i'm going to the first ad i'm going to go we need we need to put a stop to this yeah, shit, yeah. basically. And then they were literally talking, and I could see we we're about to shoot, and they're all talking. And then the first day they said, right, "Okay, in action," and they just all just <laughs> in an, in an instant just dropped back into character and did a on, perfect yeah. take. And I was like, 
that's crazy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because it's like, I suppose that's the flip side of like, with Shane Meadows, you would workshop yeah. and everyone would dissolve into would these characters. Into it, yeah. But really good actors, yeah. weirdly, can literally, you know what I mean? They can be like looking at a YouTube video and then just turn the phone off and do it. And go, here we are. Let's and if go. they can do it and it's completely believable, then there's, you know... You can't this argue. Valid, you, don't, you don't. It's acting. You don't, it's, it's, it's the <laughs> argument against method. Is like, oh no, oh you do that. Oh no, I I turn up and I act. Yeah. It's kind of the old. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh yeah, I get that. But um, I mean, the thing the thing is interesting about you know known faces, and it? it's very difficult because obviously you know you make caliber, and we were very lucky in the sense that like you know Martin's been around for a while. And he's a great actor, but he's just sort of still he feels like a fresh face, and yeah. Jack's you know sort of at the beginning of his trajectory enough that he seems like a fresh face. And that's ideal because there is a sense where if you have people who, who you don't know their faces, you just buy into them as yeah, people as much more intensely. Reality, yeah. But then if you write a script and the script's set in America, then it just begs the question. It's like, you know, if, if Christian Bale comes back and says, I love it. Yeah. You know, there was an interesting thing actually recently. We you know that movie Mandy that looks completely yeah. fucking mental. But I auditioned for it. Oh, really? It was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, again, it was the almost the, or, or one of the most funs I've had on doing a self tape because it was just huge. Yeah. You could just play it huge and just be completely. Here's here's what it is. Yeah. Let's see how that goes. But I saw, recently I saw an interview with uh, it was like some interview at Sundance with where it had the director and then it had Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And. Um, the director said, you know, someone had told me, like, Nicolas Cage really likes um, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow or whatever his, yeah, his, first, his yeah. first movie, I think that's what it's called. And um, he really likes it and he's really interested in this role. And he was like, oh, well, it's great that Nicolas Cage is, like, in, into <laughs> this, but the thing is that this role's for, for a guy who's, like, 25. Yeah. So would he be interested in this role? And so word came back and was like, Nicholas is interested in... Nick Cage is interested in this role, as previously stated. Yeah. And he said, so I basically thought, you know, well, that's not going to work because, you know, it's, it's not right for that part. And he said, and then about a week later, I woke up one morning and went, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Like, Nicolas Cage wants to be in my movie. The answer is yes. Yeah. yeah Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And the thing is, that's, it's kind of, that's the thing you're in. It's like, you know, would you, if, if, you know, if you wrote a script and then it's like, well, you know, Ryan Gosling and, and Christian Bale are really interested in these roles. Yeah. And it, it, it's quite a big call to go. No, I want fresh faces. Yeah, yeah completely. <laughs> but it's a huge, you know, yeah. also it's a budget thing. You just simply, you simply wouldn't get the same budget. Yeah. For, for the, so, I mean, again, I think it's great that we've got a lot of actors now. Um, and again, it's, it's unfair because he's kind of, a pal, but I was a fan of him before I worked with him. You've got people like Tom Hardy mm-hmm. and Christian Bale and people like that who are going out and transforming. Mm. They're not just going out and being, here I am, I'm that famous actor. They are transforming. They are losing themselves in it. So it isn't as much of that risk of like, oh, we mentioned a Pacino earlier. Mm. I adore Pacino, but mm-hmm. Pacino is generally, like you cast Pacino because you want, Pacino, yeah, to, yeah, to come yeah. in and be Pacino, whereas you've got a lot of these huge actors now who do have that. They can be... The, you're not just getting them as as, mm. as the name. You're getting them as the artist. I mean, it's a bit of a minefield because sometimes the transformation can become distracting. Yeah. Do you know what I like, mean? Like, yeah. like in Black Mass, like Johnny Depp, like it's a great performance, but it's almost like they went too far with the 
the transformation. So it's like, why does he have those weird eyes? Yeah. So like, yeah, take yeah, the fucking yeah, eyes yeah. out and let him yeah. just act. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, I, I it's, think it's, uh, it's not realizing that the excitement of, of Johnny Depp not playing the Captain Jack Sparrow mm. slash Willy Wonka slash the Mad Hatter. Or, you know, the, the, that's enough. That's yeah, the transformation yeah, yeah. in itself. Exactly. It doesn't have to be as well. Here's all this other stuff we're doing. Yeah. But I think I think it's tricky, you know, because I think ultimately all you can really do is you 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 would want to work with really great actors, and you you just have to try and in separate the ones who you think are the ones who are really acting, and the ones yeah. who are just just have a charisma and a personality. Because yeah. I think there is a se- again they're a both separation. fine. Like there's a there's a place for both of them. But mm. yeah, from your side of it, you're going to be looking at the ones that it's like right here's. Yeah, I mean, when you look at like a movie like The Big Short, yeah. you know what I mean, like that's that's some very well known actors, but they they've done a really good job of making you forget that you're watching like Brad Pitt, you forget that you're watching like Steve Carell. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you, completely. You can't. You don't really forget you're watching Ryan Gosling because he's Ryan Gosling, but you know what I mean. You How just you forget. <laughs> but they they. You I know. almost had him on the podcast. Recently. Oh really? Yeah, I had, it, had it lined up. And I'm a big fan of Gosling. Yeah, yeah, me too. But they could only give me. 20 minutes and kind of the point of the podcast is that it's these longer conversations well it's ours not... is going to be what three four hours yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, we're only just kicking up exactly <laughs> but it was one of them it was like the hardest thing I've done I was like I'd love to I want I'd love not to tempted to get him to in and him. just see whether like mind you it doesn't work like that it's not like he could my guy might have on, just put his hand up to the window and gone oh that's it on that one because it was such it was only over for one day there was a ton of press it was like right this isn't gonna I'm not you know if I overrun slightly it's fucking ruining his day yeah, do you know what I mean yeah, it's making yeah. it worse so it was one of them where it was like I'd rather hold out for because again I had that with a, a, a fast bender was one of the first ones that they gave me 45 minutes and on that day like the, the people after me was it was a 15 minute slot and it was for eight journalists all to ask questions so they'd gone above and beyond and it worked, yeah, and, yeah. and it was it was Michael's favourite interview of that run, and all this kind of thing. So it's made me realise, right? If the opportunity comes, it will come, and I'd rather have Ryan Gosling in two films' time, yeah, and actually have the amount of time to chat to him and and just be in the same room as his beautiful presence. It's a big call. I mean, how weird is it when you get like somebody like I'd, is that Mark? Is it Mark Maron? That guy? Who just, yeah, 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 yeah. Like there was one where. Um, I was sort of looking up his podcast, and suddenly, like he 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 had Barack Obama. Yeah, you know that one where they Mad, basically yeah. like his whole because yeah, he's just in, in his, his garage. Yeah, 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 in his garage. They had to shut down the whole street, and they had snipers on all of yeah. the tops. Of, but like, how how is it weird when you get somebody that fucking famous in, and they're sitting opposite you? Do you get used to that? Again, or is it's it... it's the I think the thing that is the love and hate people have with my podcast is I only have people on that I'm genuinely excited to talk to. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, we're fat spender. Like, I'm a massive fan of his work. And I had one person who was like, you didn't ask him, I would have rather heard about like him on a night out and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, but I've got, I've got 45 minutes with him. I want to talk to him about shame and yeah, about, yeah, and about yeah, all these yeah, things yeah. and really just, and hopefully that clicks. And again, in that one, it worked it just instantly. My <laughs> ridiculous enthusiasm of like, and also on this <laughs> film and that kind of lends itself mm-hmm. to that. And he shared that excitement. So it kind of, it worked, but yeah, I don't know. I think as we were discussing before, and Spike Lee was one of the first ones that I was a bit nervous because mm. he's huge, 
and also he was one of the first big names I had that I felt slightly unqualified. Mm. Like I like Spike Lee, but I've not watched all of his stuff. And I felt again on that one, like three people, I think were getting to talk to him mm-hmm. and I was one of them. So it's like, I feel some, some pressure. Or oh, an example, actually, I've, I've not told anyone this. I just turned down the opportunity to have, have Mike Lee on. And Mike Lee is an absolute legend and mm-hmm. I'm aware, but I'm not enough of an expert on him to do that justice. Yeah. It was a really hard one. I went back and forth with the plugger person saying, look, if I had time to, to, to knuckle down, because Mike Lee is someone who I've well, you'd always need had... To, you'd need to go on like a Mike... You'd need to do like a sort of all-night Mike Lee... Absolute binge. He's, but he's someone who I've had on my list for years that I need to get... I've never got into him. I need to get into him more. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm aware I... on. People I respect frequently reference him and talk about him and all that. But the fact is the podcast came up and it was like, he's available in a week or so. And I'm like, look, I'd, I feel I would annoy his fans because I'd be there having b- boned up in a week mm-hmm. and trying my best to kind of to make it work. And yeah, so that's it. It's, it, it makes it interesting because it means I know that if I turn guests down, it's not because they're shit or because I don't rate them or respect them. I I go completely off of if I think I'm capable mm-hmm. of getting a good conversation with them. And if I'm not, then it is what it is. And I suppose the thing is, like, sometimes you meet, you know, you meet people and it's happened with um, Danny Houston at about a decade ago at right. Ed- Edinburgh Film Festival. And sometimes when people are those kind of, they're that charismatic... Yeah, it's just weird. Like they have like this crazy. I mean, I'm not like really into that kind of stuff, so I I don't know how to put it into any kind of rational context. But the aura of the motherfuckers yeah. is just yeah, like yeah, the aura completely. of Danny Houston. It was just like he was like he was glowing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. I had that once with like an actress <laughs> who were cast, and I was just like sort of sat in front of her, just sort of going like, uh. Uh, wow. uh, um, there were like some really embarrassing silences yeah. for about ten seconds because yeah. I was just like gobsmacked by like who are you like what, what? This is, yeah <laughs> I've had that a few a, a few times and the tough thing now as well on the podcast front is number one thinking if I'm the right person to get a good interview with them and mm. number two thinking do I want to pass up the the opportunity to meet them because mm-hmm. again i'm sure people will, will hear it all the time on the podcast but a lot of the people i have on are people i hope to work with sometime down the line mm. so it's one of them it's like if we're gonna have a 45 minute conversation and link it's at least m- me getting the chance to go you know that film reference i get it yeah, yeah you yeah. know i know this stuff and, and we can enjoy each other's company you know yeah, and, yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing so that's kind of a tough one because it's like right there's someone i respect but again it's it's trying to keep true to the kind of the point of the podcast that it's the whole mm-hmm. point has been that it's not it's not based on fame i'll have some huge people on but but but, but, but that's not the be all and end all they're they're long form interviews it's not about sound bites or here's my new film that's all I, again mm-hmm. ironically all we've talked about are really is caliber but it's a debut film that makes sense in this mm-hmm. way but mm-hmm. and trying to stick to t- to those ethics on it rather than just going, well, I'm being offered a big name and I'll get a lot of downloads and yeah, yeah, that helps yeah. sponsorship and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's interesting. But we're at like an hour and 15, Holy so shit. we should have to wrap things up now. Okay. Um, I'll kind of end it with asking, what is the plan and aim going forward? Because it's an exciting time in blockbusters as well, because a lot of blockbusters, a lot of big studios are giving relatively new directors the mm. keys to big projects. So you've seen with things like... Um, 
Skull Island, mm-hmm. Kong, that was Jordan on that. He'd made like, like one or two films, and then yeah, there's this, yeah, and yeah. a lot of the superhero things and things like that are going rather than st- st- stick into the tried and tested, we're going to reinvigorate these things by going, here's a new, here's a new person, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty uh, cautious about that. I mean, my my agent said, like, you know, sometimes these kind of... I, I'm not entirely sure Calib- Calibre's maybe a bit too serious-minded for, like, me to be lined up for any kind of... But suits. it's getting that excitement and hype, and that's, again, I think that's something that people uh, particularly, or particularly from a producer point of view, get excited about, is looking and going, well, with the greatest respect this film has no right hmm. to be where it is. This should be a great film that that never really saw the light of day, as so many small films are, that never really get that bigger platform. But because of the timing on Netflix and this and that, it seems to have had this right, like, here's its moment. But I don't... I honestly... I mean, that that is amazing. And it's, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the what's happened with Calibre has been just a kind of dream come true. But I do think that if you jump into a sort of studio project that's like 100 million yeah essentially you I don't know how to spend that 100 million <laughs> well the thing is you, you literally you you have no control do yeah. you know what i mean and yeah. the thing is I, I don't think it's not a move I, I would make because the thing is that there's you know there's some great companies out there like you know there's a lot of new companies like um annapurna and a24 yeah. who who will fund more serious mind and like Foxcatcher, like how the yeah. fuck did Foxcatcher get made yeah. on like tw- something like twenty four million? Yeah, Such yeah, a yeah. kind of strange, interesting, yeah. dark movie. But that's kind of to me, that's the kind of yeah, that would be that that would be a much that's that's where I'd, if I could do that, yeah. that'd be amazing and much more exciting to me than you know because I said at the beginning I don't want to stand in a in a in a garage with a great big blue screen and watch people yeah. running around in suits yeah, like those you. those yeah. suits with the things on it's just not my I want to yeah. be out in the woods I want to be visiting like rust belt cities in yeah. America and seeing places and places that have some some actual like yeah. texture do you know what I mean so a wild bunch are one of them companies that just mm, blow me away with what exactly. they seem to do to get this these amazing budgets for such bizarre projects yeah, they're ones yeah, that yeah. As soon as like there's a there's a feature film I've written that the TV stuff I've written far easier to get a bit of interest because mm. it's TV at the moment. But there's the one feature I've written that's getting no interest whatsoever. I keep saying to my guys like, if we can get anyone at Wild Bunch to look at it because they're the kind of people who go right. It's a bit mental. Mm-hmm. It's not a surefire thing, but. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something there. We can make this work. Just having seen some of the mad stuff that they put a lot of money into, and yeah, and I think when that's amazing art. I think when those kind of companies do fund, like directors haven't done so much. Yeah. They are literally. Whereas the Hollywood studios, going, they'd be kind of cool to do something with them. They don't really. What they mean is, let's get them in and then secure in a future and then, relationship, and then mince them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of cautious about that, but. To be honest, the main thing, and it has been from the start, is if I get to make another movie, that's great. Yeah. Because that's ultimately all that really matters. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Scrooge Pitt's Discretion Pieces.
There we go. There's your bonus for the week. If you're listening to this on the Friday, I hope I see you tomorrow. Because tomorrow is the last We Are Lizards Club Night of the Year. I will be at the book club from 8pm till 3am. Come and enjoy the evening with me. There will be drinking. There will be dancing. There will be loud music. There will be rubber lizard masks. Come and get involved. Um, all the usual stuff. Patreon.com slash Pip. I'd love you to join our little secret gang. I'd kind of, of love you to. I like... The reason I like Patreon more than other social medias is it's so refined. Like, there's only a few hundred of us over there, whereas there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands on on, on, on the other socials. Kind of a big deal. Um, so it's cool that over there I can read every response, interact with everyone. It's this refined, hardcore, hardcore team. So, um, yeah, come and join us. Or head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and grab some merch. Do what you do. I shall talk to you all soon and I will see you next week because I'm joined by David Lowry, one of my favourite writers and directors and a podcast that I was super nervous about um, because I've not not met the dude. I was recording six podcasts in a week that week and I kind of half knew everyone else I was having on except for David. I knew his work but I didn't know him and then we just hit it off. It was just the most natural and flowing conversation so I loved it. I can't wait for you to all hear that. Um, Anyway, I'll be back next week. Until then, have fun. And uh, don't don't do anything. Um, n- be be go- be good to be. Do nice. Th- um, be try not to d- uh, um, do do the uh, um, try try. Tr- uh, be better at the um ooh, uh you you deserve to no um just basically um if if it if it for no if if you it treat people how um how, how um, how you treat people, how, uh, until then, um, do, do your best to, to, to be, um, try, try and live in the, uh, um, until then, I'll be back next week, until then, aim Aim to um, achieve that. Uh, no, um, try. Whew, tr- uh, try. Uh, no. Um, rain, rain. Go. No. Um, and I'll I'll be back next week with more distraction pieces. Until then, um, tr- uh, and oh, I oh know it's gone. Um, until then, try your your um, if. The world gives you no um 
basically, what you want to see in uh, um, try just 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 try to um, just basically if you look out into the uh, in 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 into the world then um oh god but just you know if if at first you don't know um just try um not to live how social media tries to tell you it's acceptable to live. All right, bye.